0: Hello! Welcome to the Magic Mike episode of Slate Money Goes to the Movies Season 2. I'm Felix Hammond of Axios. I'm here with Emily Peck. Hello! And we are here with, I'm very excited about this one, the one and only Shane Farrow. Welcome, Shane.
1: Hello! Thanks for having me.
0: Shane Farrow, for some people listening to this podcast, you do need an introduction. So... Who are you?
1: Well, I used to work with both of you in various publications prior. I was an economics journalist at Reuters with Felix and at Huffington Post with Emily. Then I went to law school, and now I'm a public defender in New York City. And you have a great so, newsletter. Yes, I have a newsletter, shanef.substack.com. It's called Cruel and Usual. It talks about the mundane but horrific things that happen in the criminal legal system.
2: I always learn something when it appears in my inbox.
0: Shane is going to tell the story of when Shane and I went to the movies one drunken evening and watched Magic Mike XXL, which is not the movie we're going to be talking about today. What is the movie we are talking about today?
1: They were talking about the first Magic Mike 2012 classic about the precarity of being a freelancer in the post-Great Recession gig economy.
0: Steven Soderbergh's Magic Mike taken apart and graded by me, Emily Peck, and Shane Farrow coming up on Slate Money Goes to the movie.
2: Magic Mike, as I told my daughter, is a movie about a dancer named Mike who just wants to make furniture and is thwarted (laughs) in his ambitions.
1: No, it's a movie about the gig economy. Okay. In a post-recession, great recession world and the precarity of freelance work. Say more about this Shane because Shane is the one who picked the film.
0: Okay, so number 1, yes, we have to say Shane, you picked this movie. Let's start at the beginning before we start talking about disquisitions about the tensions between labor and capital. You picked this movie. You when where were you and when was it that you first saw the phenomenon that is Magic Mike?
1: I actually I cannot remember the first time I saw Magic Mike. The first movie, the one that we're talking about, but I do remember that when the second one came out, Magic Mike XXL, which is a more fun movie, although not so much about the economy, Felix and I had some wine and decided that we were going to go to the movies
0: We had dinner, and then we decided there was, like, a midnight showing at the local movie theater. Yeah. yeah. But the, one of the reasons you wanted to see it was that you liked the first one. You had already seen the first one at that point.
1: Yes. Actually, to be honest, I think when we saw Magic Mike XXL, I had already seen the first one and already seen Magic Mike XXL once before.
0: <laughs> and this is because you are a fan of Steven Soderbergh, right?
1: Yes. And I am a fan of movies about male strippers.
0: <laughs> it's a noble genre are there any other movies about male strippers I
1: there's actually, that english I don't one know.
0: about the coal miners we should remember the, that one that, that, that came out in like question. the 90s movies? maybe the late 80s
1: i was not born yet so
0: the english one about the coal miners if i remember correctly and i can probably look this up was basically an economic empowerment movie it was this very down on its lurk northern coal mining town and everyone was unemployed and miserable and then all of the former coal miners who'd lost their jobs got together and created a group of male strippers and it was lots of fun and it was like a triumphant ending when That's they all like the opposite took their clothes of this off. movie. it was what? the opposite of this movie the oh. full monty there you go
2: course. I think this movie is one in a line of movies about strippers and economics because Flashdance from the 80s was essentially like the same kind of narrative. She's a stripper, but she wants to be taken seriously, but there's class issues. And then after Magic Mike, there is Hustlers based on a Jessica Pressler a new, new York Magazine, a new classic, which maybe we want to do in this season where the strippers basically rob the bankers the dumb bankers drug them and rob them and steal their credit cards and it's also sort of an economic tale also about the great recession
1: right Jane um yeah that was so that's the new york, genre new york city great recession stripper tale yeah. and this is the more the, the florida great recession <laughs> stripper tail Mm -hmm.
2: yes two sides of the same coin sort of j-lo and channing tatum are kind of the actually no i don't think that's right but similar
0: shane place this movie for us in in its proper geotemporal context this is after the florida housing boom has bust and yet there's still some work for Roofers, But I guess yes.
1: not enough. Yes, so he works as a roofer, but that's not his only job. As far as I can tell, he has, I think, at least four different sort of freelance jobs, things he's got going. So he has yes. some work as a roofer, but it's not enough to fully pay the bills. He also has an auto detailing business. At night, he works as a stripper. And this is all to try to save money to start a uh, furniture business because he what he his like real passion is to design and make furniture but he can't do that because he can't get a loan because he doesn't have a credit score or he has a terrible credit score it doesn't really it's never really clear
2: why is it so bad what it's like in the 400s there's a scene where he goes to a bank for a loan it's very I mean,
0: low we don't know exactly we how don't know why. It is, but unclear. i can answer why his credit score is so low please do and for this i'm going to flashback to the first season of slate money goes to the movies when we watched indecent proposal and one of the first things that woody harrelson the architect does when he comes into his million dollars is he buys this very famous frank Gehry cardboard chair and one of the first things that we see in magic mike when he starts talking about his furniture business is that he has a modest florida upstairs apartment living situation but in the middle I don't of know the if apartment. I
1: would call it modest, but yeah.
0: Yeah. But anyway, so he has this apartment, sun-drenched apartment, and in the middle of the apartment, there is a pair of vintage, brown, Mies van der Rohe Barcelona chairs, which even in the depths of the Great Recession in Florida, you have to pay a lot of money to get those chairs. So I, my theory is the reason he has a bad credit score is because he's been splurging on vintage furniture.
1: And, and that he big has truck. a beachfront apartment that I'm sure costs him most of his the money he makes. And he all of these things that he does, he gets paid in cash. There's so much cash in this movie. And you just That's can't true. exist in a 2010 world only on cash. Because then you're not building credit and your credit score is going to be terrible. That's a really do you good think, explanation.
0: Shane, do you think that Mike... The titular mic of the movie is what the um financial services industry would call unbanked
1: I bet he has a bank account but it doesn't have very much money on it in it I mean i I would say he like has a debit card for maybe his auto detailing business like he needs a bank account for that but certainly the construction roofing job he's getting paid in cash under the table and the stripping job—he's getting paid in cash, probably under the table, on um, the podium, yeah. stage,
2: if you will—is where he is paid in cash. Yeah,
1: well, and he—but he gets a cut of the door too. Remember, yeah, equity, uh, baby.
0: So what the fuck is going on in Miami? Miami is looking good. I got a couple of loopholes I got to get through with the uh, real estate attorneys down there, but after that, it's gonna be all green lights, brother. What you need from me? What's my side? You just gotta keep doing what you're doing.
2: Yeah. You level your heads out, your focus, like a big brother to this team.
0: You keep that up, you're going to make a lot more than this door money. I guarantee you that. Both ways this time, right? Two-way street, man. Once you here to say the said word, equity. P-Q-U-S-A-T-Y E-Q- U- So we need to talk about the difference between the cut of the door and equity because like, it's, it's like uh, maybe the cut of the door is like mezzanine equity.
2: Wait, before that, Um, I just want to add to the banking question. Let's remember that Magic Mike Channing Tatum has a safe in his home where he keeps his life savings savings $13,000 in. In the little safe, not Mike's in the Mike's
0: savings account is is a safe with $13,000 in, like, singles and fives.
2: Which was, like, the okay, so maybe he is unbanked. this movie, right? You're like, why are they mentioning such a specific number? And then later it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, he has to pay $10,000 to help out the kid, the worst actor in the movie, and loses his life savings, and the, the door to the safe is open and all empty and stuff. Now we can talk about equity. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs>
0: So, okay, so this is a movie about, Chain, you, you were saying this is a movie about economic precarity? Yes. What is the message of the movie? What is it telling us about economic precarity?
1: I think what it tells us is no one in the movie seems to have any sort of safety net, except for Mike, who has his $13,000 in a safe. But one mistake by like this kid that he has to use most of it to stop these people from destroying his house and then his entire savings is gone and he's just got to get up the next day and go again from gig to gig trying to make ends meet. He doesn't really get a paycheck per se, but everyone seems to be living basically from paycheck to paycheck with potentially the exception of the medical assistant sister of the kid. Although I would say she also doesn't seem like she... She seems to have her shit together, but she doesn't... She's got the knockoff furniture.
0: So she's probably also
1: living paycheck to paycheck.
0: I'm sure (laughs) she is. The speech, of course, comes from Dallas, from Matthew McConaughey, when he basically tells Mike that there's no way he can quit. There's no way he can leave because, like, he needs this job. And that Dallas who represents capital in this movie compared to Mike, who represents labor, that, you know, capital here holds all the cards. That's that's the speech. Now, whether it's true or not is interesting, but it's also interesting that Dallas is a worker. He is out there on stage gyrating and flashing his muscles as much as any of the rest of them, right? That it's not a purely extractive form of capitalism that Dallas is performing here.
1: Right, I mean, I think that Dallas in many ways represents capital looks like a lot of the time in the United States, like it doesn't look like the very top where people are just like not working and collecting rents. He wants to see himself that way. But he actually still has to hustle. And he doesn't actually have much capital at all. It all could fall through tomorrow. He's been waiting forever to be able to get the second strip club in Miami. And this is like some great triumph that he is able to like just scrape together enough. By the way, stealing from his workers because he keeps telling people all through the movie, like you'll get $100 at the end of the night. And then at the end of the night, he comes here's the $75 I promised you or whatever it is he says. And he finally scrapes together Enough for one more branch of the strip club.
0: Or oh, it's not even one. I think he closes down. Isn't he closing downtown yeah, from he, just moving the does, whole thing to Miami? Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, insol- sta- he's staying with one branch.
2: I must he's interject like- at this point with some Matthew McConaughey Dallas research. Okay, yes. so apparently he in the script wasn't supposed to dance at all, but Matthew McConaughey insisted on doing a dance in the film, which was that amazing ending scene where he just gives it his all. He's like sweating and people are going crazy. Second fact about that scene is that the extras went so crazy with Matthew McConaughey's stripping (laughs) that they ripped his G-string off for real and he just (laughs) kept going. And so that scene where he's like covering his crotch because his G-string has been ripped off, that is something that wasn't supposed to happen, but they just went with it.
1: And there you have it. I'll have to go back and watch that scene again.
2: Yes. (laughs) Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
0: This episode of Slate Money is brought to you by Wondery, which is a podcast company and it makes a podcast called The Best One Yet. And it is a daily podcast hosted by Nick and Jack, who serve up three of the most interesting business news stories every day and why you need to know them in just 20 minutes. And for more deep dive and daily business content, listen on Wondery, the destination for business podcasts. With shows like The Best One Yet, How I Built This, Business Wars, and many more, Wondery Means Business.
2: And also what was interesting about his character, to go back to what you were saying, was just, like, he is capital, and he, but he's just like this cog in the wheel and... The way he treats the workers is so disposable that it like taints him too, right? Like when Mike finally quits and walks away towards the end, which we should talk about because I I didn't like that part of the movie, but he just goes to the kid and he's like, all right, Mike's out, you're in, let's go. And it's just like, no one matters to this man, right? Because he just has to make his money and do his thing and exploit all these people, including himself Mm -hmm. kind of.
1: Yeah, well, it seems like he has been exploited for so long that he sees that as, like, the only way to project any power. Yes. And so he's, like, hanging on to this shred of power that he might have by exploiting everybody else. The
2: shred of power, like the shred of G-String.
0: But there's also (laughs) a fascinating subplot about the dangling the equity in front of the workers. So there's this whole sort of subplot for most of the movie where basically the idea is that when they move to Miami, Mike is going to be a partner in the business with 10% of equity. And then already at that point, Dallas is trying to haggle him down to 7.5%. But this places Mike squarely in the number two position in the small little business that is the mail review no one else is in line for equity but he's in line to be like an owner rather than just a worker and then a couple months later he's driving back with the kid and the kid just happens to drop in you know his drunken honesty that hey yeah dallas has promised him the kid 7.5% equity and this is a betrayal of mike right it's not mike isn't mike's response to this is not hey great we all get equity that's awesome this is a worker's socialist paradise his response to this is like how on earth like i've been working for all of all of these years and working very hard to finally get that 10% i was promised and now you are just promising seven and a half percent to this fuck up of a kid what's up with that it's like success isn't just like the workers get equity in you know the capitalistic business it's also doing better than your fellow workers
1: Mm. yeah and i think that's a way for a lot of capital to pit labor against each other in a way that keeps them from organizing say and That it's just a bargaining chip to keep people at each other's throats and keep them competing with each other so that they're not actually competing with capital.
2: The other thing I would say about the film is it's there's like class war elements to it because everyone in Mike's orbit, like all the strippers, all of them delightful. Let's just say right away. Delight. Delightful. We love them. They're all great, and the kid's sister, hardworking lady, nurse, technician, whatever she is. But then all the people that are like educated in this film with college degrees are absolute douches. Like the sister has this boyfriend who's just really snobby and like.
1: He does better insurance work than she does. Yeah. He, it just he, handles, such a jerk. he handles more higher profile insurance or something yes. like that.
2: And then there's the Joanna character that like Channing, that Magic Mike wants to like be his girlfriend. And she's just, can you please just stop talking and be pretty? Like just totally demeans him. I love her though.
1: She's
0: so good. (laughs) I like that. (laughs)
2: Olivia Munn, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's really good, but clearly looks down on him because he's a stripper. And oh, and then of course the scene where they go to the sorority party, which why are there a bunch of boys there? I don't understand why they're there. But anyway, Again, it's like a class thing. Like here are these college kids, and they're looked down upon the the trashy strippers. Which, to be fair, he did give the girlfriend the ecstasy or whatever. But that doesn't just you don't shouldn't have a bottle broken on your head over that, obviously. But again, why are the boys at that party? I don't understand that part. If you want to explain that to
1: me, Shane
0: being a veteran of many sororities, can (laughs) you?
1: I think I've been to maybe one sorority party ever in my life. I've been to fraternity parties, but there are always girls at fraternity parties. So like, I yeah, I, I can't explain it to you. Well,
2: like if um, there's a fraternity party where a stripper comes, probably there's yeah. not gonna be girls there also. And then also like, why are the boys just huddled in the room looking all angry? Like, I just, I didn't really yeah, understand the dynamics of scene. It doesn't really didn't
1: make a lot make sense. of sense. They, sense. Just, they just needed a plot device to like get Them in a fight and make him lose his ten thousand dollars worth of ecstasy, also like humiliated a them plot- a little bit. I thought,
0: I want to just come out and say this is not a plot driven movie, <laughs> right? I mean, no, 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 one, no one is no. watching this one, for, even if you really do take it seriously as a disquisition on modern capitalism. Like, the disquisition on modern capitalism is in the situation and the way that the whole setup is framed more than it is in any kind of character arc. Although I did read one interview with Steven Soderbergh where he talked about how it's about having to basically work out what you do when you feel that the labor you're performing is being undervalued. Like how do you react? What kind of decision do you make? How do you express that when you feel like you're being undervalued for what you do?
2: Really? How is that part of the movie? When does he, because he's angry, he's not getting equity. That's how he's undervalued in that instance.
1: Yeah, I think Dallas really undervalues him. Like, he does a lot of the work for yeah. the strip club in terms of just going out and getting people to come and bringing money in the door and thinking about it as a business while mm-hmm. Dallas is up there, like, on stage playing with his, like, flamethrower or whatever.
0: Not to mention discovering the kid, yeah. who was, like, recruiting, yeah. obviously a fuck-up from day one and is the guy who turns up to a roofing job wearing sneakers. And instead of saying like, you are obviously a fuck up, what he does being Magic Mike is he can look past the sneakers to the fact that this kid is actually really good looking and that's all you need to be a successful stripper.
2: I listened to Slate Spoilers special podcast, did an episode on Magic Mike. So I went back and listened to it. And I think Dana Stevens was pointing out like the first time the kid gets on stage, it's just ridiculous his whole act is he takes his pants off awkwardly and kisses someone and then he gets off the stage and matthew mcconaughey or dallas the character dallas is like you got it kid you're so talented you're so (laughs) good at this you're a star and it's like wait what
1: (laughs) was all based on the fact that the the girls like lost their shit when he kissed them um which could have gone very poorly but (laughs) <laughs> because they reacted well, he was a star.
2: But Channing Tatum clearly is a good dancer. Like, he is yeah. a star. Let's
0: just Channing say. Tatum is an amazing dancer, he I is have to say.
2: incredible. Yeah. He's doing his backflips. He didn't have a stubble in any of I don't, I don't know whether so. he
0: did all of the backflips, but he is an amazing dancer.
2: Well, my half-assed internet research turned up that he did it all himself. Felix, he did it all? So.
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: Well, well this movie awesome.
1: is part out of biographical about yes. him, right?
2: He was once a stripper in Tampa.
1: And I don't know. One of the things that I really like about this movie is it shows how much work and labor goes into their act. It really portrays like sex work as work and they like really put thought and effort into it and they practice and it's like physically demanding.
0: Although I have to say that it was Magic Mike XXL more than Magic Mike itself that really showed the. Amount of work they put into just pumping iron and watching their diet, which is the main qualifications you need to be a stripper. So you need highly visible muscles and therefore you need to be very lean and very muscle yeah,
1: i i continue to maintain that the first magic mike is about the economy and the second magic mike is about stripping
2: although in the first one there's a scene i don't remember which dancer it was but he lifts up like a heavier woman. they're always lifting up the women that's like a very <laughs> core gimmick picking up a woman
0: is that and- normal in like male strip clubs that have as someone who has not been to many of these places
2: I don't know. I've never been to one either, Shane.
1: I this is we a real should have failing, gone for research. failing on
2: our part. We should have gone for research. Maybe it's a slate plus episode or something. <laughs> but anyway, he picks up the heavier woman and you see he like hurts his back. And I was like, ooh, occupational hazard right there. I bet you can't get workers' comp for that or anything. Must be really hard on your yeah, body. I wonder to do if that Osha's thing. on it. <laughs> Maybe in the Biden White House.
0: <laughs> well, there is that whole speech that dallas gives at the very beginning of the movie basically saying you're not allowed to do this you're not allowed to do that but i don't see any police in here and you look like (laughs) a bunch of lawbreakers to me and that's it right i mean as we were saying everything all it's all cash under the table like every single job that mike has is I'm almost certain, not being reported to the IRS, right?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. I really, I love the opening scene there as someone who is very passionate about there being a difference between the law and enforcement of the law. I think it's it's a great opening scene. What was the
2: opening scene? I don't remember.
0: Was it Wait, the what, what you can and can't touch?
1: Oh, he I like see. He goes through his body and he's like, can right. you touch this? Can you touch this? And <laughs> then he like grabs his crotch and he says, you can't touch this, but... I see a bunch of lawbreakers here, whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you touch it? <laughs> Can you touch it? No, 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 no. And finally, last one, ladies. Can you touch it? Can you fucking touch it? Well, that too, the law says that you cannot touch. But I think I see a lot of lawbreakers up in this house right?
2: And I don't see a cop inside. All
0: right?
2: Yes, there's a lot of touching. I thought you were talking for some reason about the union, the roofing scene where the guy's like, I'm not bringing in a union worker for this. Like, I'll pay you $10 an hour. And there's haggling there. <laughs> it's just so sad.
1: That scene <laughs> is more sad without the funny bits and without Matthew yeah. McConaughey grabbing his crotch. So
2: Matthew McConaughey, I think he's just the star of this thing. I mean, I know Channing Tatum is technically the star and he he's wonderful and delightful, but McConaughey just yeah. being so he really McConaughey-ish takes it is above wonderful. Beyond. Yes, in the spoiler podcast they wanted him to win an Oscar for this, but I don't <laughs> think that.
0: I just couldn't watch that Like, triumphant final stripping scene of Matthew McConaughey's without thinking, is this the next governor of Texas?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. He can't be any more ridiculous than the current governor of Texas. And he would play the bongos, too. They got the bongos in there. He said, all right, all right, all right, like a million times just to make sure you knew... Who he was right. I mean, it was incredible.
0: It's a good piece of casting there, and he suddenly steals every scene that he's in, in contradistinction, as you say, to most of the rest of the cast, including like Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Yeah, the girl with the pig. The girl with oh, the pig. Yeah,
1: yeah. Every time I watch the movie, I'm just like, I forgot there's a small pig in this movie, <laughs> just randomly, with a bottle.
2: That was disturbing. She was feeding the pig with a bottle, right? Yeah.
0: And that whole character, the existence of that character, who she is, what she represents. She has like one line in the entire movie. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
3: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
0: I do want to ask you, Shane, is this a feminist movie in any way at all?
1: I'm definitely prepared to say the second one is a feminist movie. I mean, I think that, like, it has certain elements of, like, the male stripper's... The whole strip, all the strip club scenes are sort of about thinking towards female pleasure and like making the women happy. But I don't know that it's necessarily feminist. I mean, I think it has some like feminist critique in it. Like the scene that we talked about with the, the medical assistant sister who. One is, like, she's just, she's got her shit together and can't understand why all these guys don't. But she has this terrible boyfriend who, like, puts her down for the kind of work she does. And just the way that scene is framed, I liked. But I, I don't know that it's an explicitly feminist movie.
2: It wouldn't pass the Bechdel test. Not that that makes it automatically feminist. That's when, you know, you have, what is it, at least two women talking about something other than a man? like this film fails that particular thing.
0: I was thinking about the Bechdel test and I was thinking it totally fails the Bechdel test with the possible exception of like right at the beginning when those two girls are at the bar trying to get a drink and they're like, one says to the other, can you get me a drink? And I think that was the, the one time. <laughs> <laughs> As Jessamine points out, the women who te- speak to each other have to be named, so that's definitely not the case in, in yeah. this. So it definitely fails I, the Bechdel test.
1: The only two women who speak to each other in the film are Olivia Munn and the sister, when Olivia Munn is trying to get the sister to sleep with her and Mike. Yeah. I think that's the only time that two women characters talk to each other and, at all. And she's, like,
0: she, she's trying to get the sister to talk about her tattoos.
2: Oh, yeah. To my mind, the only way you could say it's feminist is that well, it doesn't ex- women are not exploited, women's bodies in this movie. It's really all about men's bodies being exploited in this movie and it's they're exploited in a delightful way, I thought. But maybe that's what men say about most other movies where women's bodies are exploited, so I don't know. That doesn't seem actually feminist now that I'm saying all these words out loud. And I had another point, but I lost it cuz I got distracted thinking about the bodies.
0: <laughs> what it? It's like it's yeah, the Well, I mean, one thing I will say about this movie, and I think this was very conscious on the part of Soderbergh, is that he wanted to make a very physical movie, right? The way the dancing scenes in particular, but basically all the scenes are set up. They're movements of people in the frame, very carefully framed, very carefully set up, and... He, I remember reading an interview with him where he's like, you really ought to be able to work out what's going on if you're watching this with the sound off. It's not a dialogue-driven movie in any way, shape or form. In fact, one of the most charming parts of the movie is the way in which Mike is so finds it so difficult to express himself verbally, while he also finds it so easy to express himself physically. And Soderbergh is basically saying movies don't need to be about words. It can tell the story just through bodies and movement. And I think he does that part of the interesting cinematic innovation there is is definitely, you know, we're going back to the classic Hollywood musicals of the 1950s.
2: Yeah, it did sort of feel like a musical. The most enjoyable scenes were probably the dancing. And not just because everyone looked really good which they did but those were the the fun scenes and the dialogue and the acting and the plot was dumb right i mean i know it was a a critique of capitalism and all shane but really was it
1: <laughs> i mean yeah i think it is i i do think that like it is definitely the glossiest version of this kind of critique of capitalism and it's not as
0: glossy as showgirls
1: it's yeah but it's there's economic precarity without anyone actually being poor. And, you know, all of these people, they're mostly white, mostly male. They have the most amount of privilege you could have to free themselves from this precarity. And so it it sort of shows this a little bit of freelance life and economic precarity without actually having to get into that Really depressing parts of the economy when you are actually talking about these things in real life.
2: Yeah, it, I felt like the stake, like when I was talking about hustlers before, like the stakes in hustlers were so much higher because the women had children and it seemed like there was more at stake and at risk. And for the kid, he's 19, he'll be fine. Like the the stakes just didn't seem very high. Um, Wait, like even none of them had kids, right? There care. wasn't like a single no.
0: person in this movie who had kids.
2: No, the pig was the closest we got to <laughs> any kind of like thing that needed caring for. Yeah, the stakes were just, they were really low. And I just felt like, Mike could have tried a little harder and gotten his credit score up. Like, how hard could that have been? The kid could have gotten a job, but he wouldn't wear a tie. Like, and that was supposed to be... Yeah,
1: that was one of my favorite parts. <laughs> I, I don't play that. Like, I, I could I work w- at T-Mobile, but I, don't, I didn't want to wear a tie.
2: Forget it. Like, it's hard to feel, like, the pathos of their situation, I guess.
0: Same well, kind the kid of is clearly, like, the fucker, right? I mean, like, the kid makes precisely zero good decisions in the entire movie, really.
2: He's probably fine now. If we flash forward to 2021, what's the kid doing? He's probably what trading crypto. He's a Dogecoin
0: millionaire. Yeah. Exactly.
2: <laughs> He's fine. And that—that that was my other thing. I think with the movie was the ending. I it, it all works out okay, and Magic Mike walks away from the stripping. And he gets the girl. It just seems so boring. Like, part of me wanted him to just, like, lose everything. Or I don't know. I wanted something more.
1: I liked the boring (laughs) ending, though. Like, I liked that he walked away from it without really a plan. And he just went to this boring girl's boring apartment. (laughs) And they wanted to have breakfast together. Uh, and he didn't really know what was going to happen after that. I liked that ending. It's
0: romantic. Do you not have any romance in you, Emily? Has is, is all of this journalism just done for your romance? <laughs> and I like feelings? that it
1: picks Perhaps. up in the next movie with like <laughs> her having left him and it wasn't a great romantic ending sorry no spoil well spoilers but that like life goes on and it doesn't have to be some great lifelong romance they just had a nice night and then breakfast together
0: it's really hard to make a sequel to magic mike where like he's given up stripping and then never takes his clothes off again because no, no one would that. watch that sequel yeah
2: <laughs> um also you know when he goes in the bank and he wears the suit and he like flirts with the bank loan officer, which was a delightful scene, and she she gets all like flustered by him but can't give him the loan.
0: That's a beautiful necklace. Is that oh, vintage? D-
2: I, d- um, no, it's no, it's sister, <laughs> bad for me. <laughs> Target, I think. Um, uh, SBA, yes. Uh, name and social.
0: Absolutely, Michael Lane, 038... 007128 and I brought the funds for my down payment.
2: Is there always a scene where a guy goes to the bank and tries to get a loan and so that's A. And B, in real life, even in 2012, don't you just go on the net, on the web, and try to get a loan? There was, like, there was zero
0: internet, internet in this movie. There was an iPhone, well, but it was but an iPhone. But the problem is he has no, no credit
1: score. So he has to charm his way into a loan if he's going to get it. Like, yeah. the internet does not care about your charm. It sees your credit score and says no. So I'm sure right. he's been online. He's been rejected several times. And he has to try to flirt his way into a loan, which also doesn't work because the banks aren't into flirting. There's also a
2: scene in Falcon and Winter Soldier where the Falcon character superhero tries to get a loan. I feel like it's some kind of cinematic shorthand for something else. It's just like a common thing now. We have the loan scene. Does he get it? No, he doesn't. He He doesn't get it. He's a black superhero. And even though he can fly and save the world, he cannot get a bank loan in America. So even though Magic Mike can essentially fly with his body he also cannot get alone because capitalism does not reward these things these talents
0: can i talk about the scene where <laughs> dallas talks about his hypothetical kid and like whether he's going to send his hypothetical kid to school and he's like no i'm just going to park him in front of jim kramer all oh, day oh yes yes oh, that's one of my favorite scene get, get him in the ameritrade <laughs> account and quote by the time he's 18 he's going to be flushing money When I have a kid, I'm going to set him in front of the TV, make him watch Mad Money all day long. I'm going to teach him about the stock market,
2: get him into some Ameritrade and shit like that. I guarantee you, by the time he's 18, that little fucker's
0: going to be flushing cash.
2: You know, I don't know why more people don't
3: do that. Hmm? You know, just from an investment standpoint.
0: Well, that's the state of the country, man. America. People. Stupid.
2: I hope I get to meet your kids someday.
1: Oh, no problem. Come visit anytime in one of our three pool houses, dude.
2: That's not a good strategy, Felix, for raising Well, you did child. that with
0: your kids, right? How did it work well,
2: out? Well, they're watching CNBC right now. I don't, I couldn't tell. They're not 18 yet, so they're not quite millionaires, but they're on their way, obviously.
1: <laughs> Wasn't there some story recently about some of these robo-advisors, like, opening accounts for, like, 13 to 15-year-olds or something like that? I think people Uh, do that.
0: I know people who. Do your kids have a
1: Robinhood account?
0: I I know a lot of people who've opened up accounts for their teens to quote unquote teach them about investing. It's a Mm -hmm. thing.
2: I mean, compound interest being what it is, they they could do well.
1: Yeah, I mean, Dallas's kid is gonna be on R slash Wall Street bets and be (laughs) making money on Bitcoin and Dogecoin and AMC.
0: So that's like hinted at, I guess, in Magic Mike. I've only it. It hasn't happened yet. But that was, but like yeah, it was prescient in that sense.
1: Yeah, and the precursor to that was just sitting in front of Jim Cramer for hours. Everyone
2: just wants to get rich quick. Soderbergh also made Ocean's Eleven, which is also about a bunch of charming, good-looking men trying to get rich quick. I'm seeing a theme actually. I just realized. Yeah.
1: Although yeah. in Ocean's Eleven, they're really committing crimes, so I like that movie even more. <laughs> <laughs> it's victimless. It's a defense
0: crime. lawyer, shame, yes. Shame. Yeah,
1: <laughs> The insurance even
2: pays it off. Yeah, exactly. Victim That's of the crime. Fine.
0: Victim yeah. of crime. Was Logan lucky Soderbergh? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, that was another great crime caper.
2: All the reviews also said Soderberg is known for his capitalism critique. His films have that in common, but is that right? Could either of you speak to that? The one review I read compared The Stripper... Wants to be taken seriously, but all anyone actually wants them to do is strip, is like how Hollywood, the entertainment industry, treats actors who want to be taken seriously. And they're just like, movie moguls are like, yeah, just look pretty.
1: Go be in a superhero movie.
2: Make exactly. us some money. Just go be
1: in a superhero movie.
0: I need to ask you guys, it is an auteur-ish movie by a very, very big name, famous independent film director, probably the biggest name there is in like independent film. Did it feel like that? Is this one of those like high-low things where you can appreciate it on an intellectual level as well as just enjoying the acres of naked man flesh? Because I feel like really it's mostly just about the acres of naked man flesh.
2: See, this is where my lack of film critiquing ability comes to play, but it did have that nice Soderberghian lighting and the quick cuts that I thought was trying to message like this is an artsy movie. This isn't just a trash movie. Like I've lit it in such a way that's interesting. Like, especially the, the beach scene on the little strip, the Tampa beach strip where they all go. And like, it's like that very golden tones and it has, everything has a certain look. It's, it seems very deliberate. That makes it seem more than just like about like hot men dancing. It had like a fancy look.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's more to it. I, I don't know. I think if you, like, watch the movie and think about these people's lives underneath the acres of naked man flesh, as you put it, <laughs> it's pretty depressing. And there are sort of the layers of kind of critique of the economy like we've been talking about. There is the cinematography and the lighting and stuff that Emily was talking about. I don't know. I really like and appreciate this movie for many reasons, including the strippers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's more to it than, whoa, it's a stripper movie.
1: I also, I think the dancing is really good. Like, it's a fun movie, not just because they take their clothes off, but the dancing is excellent. It's very entertaining. Even if they had their clothes on, I think it would be entertaining. Yeah, the dancing was funny. That was the
0: follow-up movie, right? Hail Caesar, where Channing Tatum does that amazing tap dance routine.
1: Yes, I vaguely remember that. I definitely didn't see it, but so maybe, so maybe I did need him to take his clothes off for me.
0: To Although see. that wasn't Soderbergh; that was the Coen brothers. So yeah, let's get a verdict on this one, uh, Shane. You you brought us this movie. You wanted to talk about this movie. We can assume you like the movie.
1: I like the movie. Give it a a grade. What is the scale that you use?
0: Whatever scale you want. We're not fussy on scales.
1: I think I'd give it a seven and a half out of 10.
0: Okay, good, but not great. Seven and and a half
1: to an eight out of 10. Like, it's not the best movie I've ever seen, but it (laughs) is definitely an entertaining movie that I will see five more times.
0: How many times have (laughs) you seen this movie?
1: Well, including, I saw it probably (laughs) twice in the last month to do research for this and had probably seen it two or three times before that. Wow. But I also just rewatch things I've already watched before as a rule. That's just how I consume things.
2: Do you fully pay attention when you rewatch or you do other stuff?
1: Depends. Like if you're watching with other people, I usually pay attention, but other times I'll just put it on in the background. It's a great movie to have on in the background because like you're doing something else and then you look over and there are like men dancing with their shirts off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think, like, that kind of seven and a half, maybe, like, seven out of ten, it is not Soderbergh's best film by a long shot. It is not Channing Tatum's best film by a long shot. It could conceivably be one of Matthew McConaughey's yes, best films. Like correct. His, his performance is fantastic. <laughs> the huge weaknesses in the plot, they strike home for me just because I like more verbally adept movies I guess I like more you know the, the, the clever scripts. the s- script is not clever so I can't get too excited about this film
1: that's another reason why it's great to have on in the background because you don't really have to be listening
0: to it right but Emily you're gonna have to give us the final verdict then. Yeah?
1: so can I switch
2: the scales to letter grade please do I feel I can I mean I pretty much kind of agree well I think that it's a B movie <laughs> It's a grade B movie. It looks really good. And yes, there are these like interesting capitalist critiques kind of in there. And the choreography is nice. It's very easy on the eyes. But the plot is dumb, as Felix has pointed out. The dialogue is... Poor, except when Matthew McConaughey is talking and saying, all right, all right, all right. And (laughs) yeah, and there's like nothing to it, really. You know, it's really just a kind of like um, a confection. Like there are other movies about stripping that I think have higher stakes. There are no stakes here. The plot is whatever. It's just something, like you said, to have on in the background. So that's what makes it a B-level movie, even though it's very enjoyable.
0: And there's no shame in making a successful genre B movie.
2: No shame in that.
0: That's one of the things we like about Soderbergh Because he dabbles in many pools. He doesn't need to achieve greatness every time. And I probably feel like he wouldn't, he would feel like he isn't stretching himself enough if he did achieve greatness every time.
2: And like, it's nice to see a movie. It's kind of a small movie. It only costs six and a half million to make. Thank you, Wikipedia. And it grossed $167 million. And I feel like, Hollywood should make more movies like this that are like cheap to make, but they still look really good and are super entertaining. And it's not like a whole like extravaganza. No one got shot. There was a gun in the sorority party scene, and I was like, "Oh my god, why does he have a gun?" And then I was like, "Oh right, it's a prop from the street." <laughs> <laughs> so that was nice. So
0: talking about labor versus capital, the great thing about making a movie for six and a half million dollars is that is a small enough amount of money that Soderbergh and tatum could and did finance it themselves there isn't a bunch of rentier hollywood producers who are skimming off the vast majority of that 106 million in profits if this cost six million and made 100 million and the producers are steven soderbergh and channing tatum that's like they're obviously going to share that with a bunch of other people but that's basically 50 million dollars each which is an amazing payday from this movie
1: yeah good job
0: that's more money than you could make you know from a superhero movie
1: It feels like this was a fun movie to make. It's a fun movie to watch. I think it's great.
0: That's it for Magic Mike. Next week, we'll be back with Catherine Bell to talk about the Hudsucker Proxy. Step into the world.